This is My Montessori Life, a podcast that holds up a unique lens to contemporary social, cultural, and political issues. Maria Montessori aimed to reform humanity by building a better human being from the start, preparing young children for a life of profound self-determination, empathy, and wisdom, everything to which an advanced civilization should aspire. The podcast's regular hosts are Barbara Isaacs, president of Montessori Europe and one of the world's leading authorities on Montessori, and David Getman, author of the teacher's textbook Basic Montessori and founder of the software firm My Montessori Child, which sponsors this podcast. In this first of three podcasts on the theme of motherhood, Barbara and David look at Maria Montessori's view of the role of the mother in child development. Maria was a mother herself, but in difficult circumstance. She was one of the first women in Italy to qualify as a doctor, As she specialised in paediatrics, Maria was appointed co-director of a training institute in Rome for professionals working with mentally disabled children. She and the institute's other director, another young doctor named Giuseppe Montesano, happened to fall in love and have a baby together. Because Giuseppe's high-born family would not allow them to marry, Maria had to give up the baby, named Mario, to the father's family for them to raise. So Maria Montessori's motherhood was a secret even to her son, until they reunited when Maria was much older. Some think this experience of motherhood denied may have influenced Maria Montessori's decision to dedicate her life's work to children. So welcome back, everyone, to our um, first podcast on the topic of motherhood. And uh, welcome, Barbara, too. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here again. Um, Do you think, um, following that little story, that Maria's forced denial of her own motherhood may have influenced her life's work? Um, I have always believed that uh, maybe had she been able to keep her son, she may not have done the work she has done. She writes about young children with deep level of commitment and often talks about the importance of love in the relationship. And for me, psychologically, this counteracts their lack of opportunity that she had to really express her feelings for her own child until he was much older. It was was quite a a, a tragic situation for her to um, have to face. And I'm sure she went through all kinds of psychological torture to cope with it, especially when... Um, Giuseppe, uh, although he'd promised not to, um, married someone else after about a year. Oh, yes, I think that the the complexity of her own relationship with Giuseppe is one thing. And then um, having given birth um, and having to give up her child must have created a whole set of other problems. Um, And I think she tried to compensate for this situation by giving all her energy to developing her Montessori um, approach to working with young children and developing teacher training, which would ensure that her legacy continues. Um, do, you, do you know about the circumstances of her being reunited with Mario? I mean, I've just seen references to it that he saw her suddenly at around age 15, although some people report other ages um, and that realized that uh, this was someone special in his life and went to her. Um, 
Do you know anything more about I, that? I personally have not um, heard otherwise. Um, and I think we need to be very mindful of the fact that we have only come to discuss the fact that Mario was her son in very recent years for during her lifetime, Montessori always introduced him as her nephew. She never, uh, and this continues the kind of lie that she had to live, to be always presenting her son as not somebody who was really of her, but just related to her. And I think it's interesting to see how the six years that they spent in India during Second World War has influenced that relationship because it was for the first time that they were circumstances pushed them together and they had to, in a way, get to know each other as human beings as well as develop the mother-child relationship. And she began to, it seems that she began to give Mario more responsibility and he was, um, to some extent, a contributor to the elementary curriculum as we have it today, particularly the um, idea of the five grade lessons and um, the principles of allowing uh, young children to get to know nature in a quite a structured way. Um, uh, Travels in your rights, um, that those times were really significant. They really got together and Mario observed and then in the evening he came home and he shared ideas with his mother. So that was very creative time for them and I'm very happy that they were able to experience that because... It is important. It must have been important, particularly to Montessori, as she was getting so much older. So there was lots of, although they were, it was suffered at the time. There were lots of fortuitous circumstances which led to the Montessori method being available to us uh, with all its treasures and insights and wisdom. Um, so partly uh, Giuseppe's mother <laughs> not allowing them to marry and then also um, obviously the wartime um, causing them to mm. have to uh, to hide out in India and but the interesting thing in that um, uh, social relationship between Maria and Giuseppe is that in today's world um, they would have been recognized as equals um, but in those days um, the social class from which he came and her social class, which was fundamentally bourgeois, and he was um, um, upper-class Italian, uh, in a way present, prevented them from getting together. So it was the social convention, uh, not only of having the child out of wedlock, but also the social convention of the classes from which they came that prevented them. And we have overcome many of those barriers. They still exist in some cultures, but um, in the UK, this does not seem to be as prominent as we have seen even in the royal family. <laughs> well, um, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are not stopping by for tea this afternoon, so I no. think there are, there are still some barriers there. Um, so do you, was your, your impression that in terms of her work, that they saw eye to eye or that um, where there were differences that Mario, that she opened her, her thinking to what Mario had to contribute? Um, I think that initially um, there was 
not as much respect for Mario's contribution as we might have expected. I think that they really needed to get to know each other. And because she hasn't influenced his upbringing um, and he was brought up in the countryside, um, the kind of things that were important to her, like research and reading and literature, um, that probably wasn't present in his daily life. So they have had to grow together through life's experiences. And also, he became married very, very quickly and had children of his own, which um, would also indicate that he wanted to create the intimacy of a family for himself. Um, and that has created some tensions between his wife and, and Montessori. And his um, first wife was American, and... Um, she came to live in Italy and lived in, in Italy all her life. But in fact, the children, as they became older, uh, went to live with Mario in Holland and uh, were brought up by the Peterson family, uh, uh, one of whose members uh, Mario then married later on. I see. Well, it was a complicated relationship, went through various phases, but... Um it must have been hard for her, though, having been separated from her child, not always physically. I know that she did see him from time to time, but to have a, a dishonest relationship for 15 years at least and then to have to be careful about the way in which he was brought into her own professional community, um, that must have been very difficult for her as, as a mother. I, yeah, a mother. I, I think it must have been... Torturous, really, really torturous. Uh, it's, mm. I can't imagine having to experience something like that. <laughs> yes. For me, that would not be possible. But of course, I come of, I'm of different time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So turning to Montessori's own ideas about motherhood, um, she, there was a lot of advice for expectant mothers and how to prepare themselves um, for what was to come. So what, what should we take from that? I know that uh, various of her books do refer to preparation for the birth. I think that the, the interesting element of uh, this aspect of her approach is that it she really developed these ideas more fully um, only after she returned from India. So that whole period of birth to three, whilst she recognized the importance of the relationship and importance of uh, the mother being part of that relationship, that whole, what we now know as the infant-toddler community, that was not developed until after Second World War. And of course, there was also... Uh, uh, Montanaro, Dr. Montanaro, who developed those ideas um, based on her um, uh, psychological knowledge of children. And I think some of those ideas of how to care for the baby and uh, how, how the importance of the um, time in the womb, in fact, got fleshed out as we came to understand a little bit more about what happens to the fetus, what happens to um, uh, to the embryo and how it develops. So, yes, the, the advice is to uh, 
something that is generally accepted nowadays that it's important for the mother to stay healthy and that it's important for the mother to stay calm and um, we now know that the baby in utero can hear that they can absorb music that they can absorb sunlight so um, the period of pregnancy the nine months of gestation when the mother gets to know the child from within is very very important and i'm yeah. sure that our guests later on will elaborate on this a little bit more <laughs> yes, and from first-hand recent experience yes. in, in, in the case of one. So um, one of the things I found interesting about her comments about um, preparation for birth was the need for the, mother, the expectant mother to trust the pregnancy and to establish a kind of emotional um, uh, uh, trust and, and regard for what was happening within her as being natural so that she could transfer that feeling of trust to the newborn when the baby arrived. Um, is that, I, I find that really interesting that there's a kind of continuity from um, conception right through to birth and beyond so that you can, you can see the, the relationship already being shaped when the baby is still in utero. Um, yes, but... In her day, it wouldn't have been any different. We didn't have ultrasound. We didn't have much intervention. Uh, being pregnant was seen as an actual, absolutely natural process of the body. So the idea of trusting your body um, and would have been, as it is in many cultures, um, these days, uh, much more natural and much more aligned with um, um, what the community who of women who believe in active birth or natural birth um, would embrace today. There, there's a strong alliance um, in that process. But there are, of course, um, many women who... Uh, prefer the support of the medical science. And we, we know that uh, the medical science has actually saved many more children than uh, would have survived if we just fully believed in the natural process of the baby growing and, uh, and being born. I mean, um, childbirth mortality is very low in this country in comparison to other countries. Yes, and yes, partly because of the preparations and nutrition and sanitation and all kinds of other factors. But as you say, partly because in those cases which are risky, um, medical intervention has saved both the mother um, and, the, and the baby. Um, so this, the movement that we've had, although I think it's, it's not as strong as it was you know, 20, 30 years ago, the movement for natural childbirth, um, you think, has... Uh, echoes, uh, or is rather a reverberation from um, Montessori's own view about preparation for birth. Very much so, and um, her ideas were embraced by an obstetrician called uh, Michel Audin, uh, who developed this whole idea of um, of natural childbirth. And we had the movement towards uh, birth in water, um, which was actually a pioneer not so far away from where we are recording at, at the Royal Free by Sheila Kitzinger. And 
many mothers nowadays have got the option, even in mainstream um, um, maternity units, to opt out for births in water. I, I think that um, the whole medical profession is much more sensitive to the needs of the mother than it would have been, um, let's say, 50 years ago. There are, of course, doctors who rebel against that and who say, well, look, uh, the only purpose of birth is to separate the two bodies so that they re both remain healthy and intact. So, um, yeah, there is a pushback against that from some quarters. But I, I, I can see that, that, that ideas that originated with um, perhaps with Montessori and then were evolved by um, Sheila Kissinger and others I can see that those have now permeated the profession and um, midwifery as well. So um, again, there's you know it's always surprising and 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 delightful to find ways in which Montessori has changed life for so many people, um, not just you know with a few blocks in nursery school, but <laughs> really changing uh, the worldview in so many ways. And it would be good if we. Um really focused on the principles of how she sees the child and how she sees the relationship of his, um, this, the, the relationship the child has, the, has with the parents. If we saw it in a more holistic way, often not looking only towards the educational aspect of Montessori, that, that kind of deep respect for the child and uh, giving the child opportunity to try things for their own and be independent are extremely important. Yeah, and there's a lot now written, um, it, almost too much now for poor mothers trying to figure it out. <laughs> there's a lot written, a lot of resources available for um, that sort of guidance, which is definitely positive, but um, I think there's also, I've seen some deviations from what I believe, uh, well, not deviations necessarily, maybe extrapolations from what um, Montessori may have advocated in some of these, um, you know, purportedly Montessori-inspired uh, parenting guides with young children. But um, I think overall, you know, the effect has is, is got to be positive. Well, I... I think that Montessori wasn't unique in her ideas of how children could be brought up or how parents could work with children. She um, articulated it in a certain way, way which is appealing to lots of um, lots of people who value children and think about children's upbringing. But there were various people who think along parallel lines uh, to um, Montessori. For example, the Steiner community would nurture babies in a very similar way. Um, um, the Hungarian uh, Pickler approach um, advocates virtually the same approach to working with babies uh, as Montessori does. So I, I think we need to remember that whilst... Um, for me personally, um, the Montessori approach was significant in becoming a mother and becoming a teacher. There are others who also advocate similar lines of um, nurturing the spirit of the child um, towards um, development and um, a kind of holistic uh, approach to living. Yes, I'm, sh I'm sure that it's the same values are being reached from lots of, of directions, as you say. Um, one thing I've 
I have a feeling about the whole issue of um, Montessori parenting, uh, Montessori-based parenting for little ones, um, is wondering how much attention is given to the mother's well-being because um, at that age, particularly, the mother is such a profound influence on the child's own development and um, contentedness and um, security that um, I think there's some of that, but I think we could have more. I think there could be more focus on the mother herself as opposed to the mother having to constantly, you know, refocus her attention on the child alone? Well, it's interesting because when I trained, um, one of the recommended readings was a book called Children on the Hill. It was a story of an Italian mother who married um, an Englishman and they had children and they decided to live in the hills of Wales um, and home educate those children so that the mother could totally devote her energies to the child, to the children. And she nurtured them to the point that one of them became a very gifted mathematician, the other one became a musician. And that book ascribes the success of these children to the sacrifice made by mother. And um, I remember when I first read it, before being mother, I felt that was really grossly unfair <laughs> because the mother is also a human being. Yeah. And for the mother to be whole, she needs to feed some of her spirit. She needs to feed, um, I mean, in a symbolically speaking, feed her spirit. She needs to do things that will help her remain herself. And um, I know that when I became a mother myself and I was desperate to have um, children, um, the fact that I was offered an opportunity to work one night a week was like a gift from God because I felt I was no longer the mother and no longer the wife. I was myself that one night when I went to share what I learned about Montessori with students. And I think that young women of today, for example, um, women of my daughter's generation definitely need to have that time to be themselves whilst um, sustaining their families and um, maintaining, a, maintaining a job because virtually every family nowadays relies on two incomes, if at all possible. And I absolutely take my hat off to the women who bring children up on their own. It is a yes. really, really hard job. And it really highlights the importance of that relationship between the mother and the child. It often develops very closely, but it is a very, very tough job to do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. There is so much pressure on everyone now um, that, uh, you know, I, in some ways I value all these advice books. Um, and then in other ways I feel like, well, is it just another set of expectations, you know, um, from, appear, you know, how is the mother's appearance? Is she regaining her figure? Is the, you know, is she in fashion now? Is, you know, are the children in fashion? Are, are the, you know, uh, are, is she avoiding the right toxins in their diet? You know, is she... There's so many demands on her that it just, like you say, it's, it feels very unfair to, to say, well, what about her? What about her well-being? In fact, when parents ask me what's the most constructive thing they can do to make sure their child is interested in all kinds of things and, you know, should they take them for lessons to this and should they introduce them to that, 
I always say the best thing you can do for your child is to be busy and happy yourself. Yes, and in fact, in the few um, articles that Montessori has written specifically for parents, her advice is very, very sensible and in no way extreme. She recognizes the home being very different place to the nursery or the school. Um, she encourages parents to give the children space to be and to stand back and observe what the children do um, to engaged when asked but not always interfere i think one of the challenges that we have um, as you have mentioned there are so many views of what parenting should look like and i always say you need to go with what is natural to you so it's back to the question of you know connecting with nature and natural instincts but um I, I know that parents are under so much pressure. I mean, yesterday we went, um, I went to the playground with my children and we met another mother and her daughter produced a snack of a chocolate biscuit at nine o'clock in the morning and the mother felt that she needed, she was obliged to make an excuse to me, should I judge her and say, well, you know, um, it doesn't always happen. And I said to her, you can only govern, kind of manage the what your child has when it's your first child. Once you have got more than one child, all sorts of things go out, out of the window <laughs> because it's just not physically possible to meet the full needs of what you would like for your children, what your children would like. There's always tension between the child as an individual and how the mother wants to give to their children. And that continues until you are, you know, until... You die as a mother, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it never, it never, you never stop being a mother, do you? No, I mean, but you never stop being a parent. I shouldn't, I'm sure yeah. that it is very similar for men as well. It's not exclusive to women. Well, <laughs> it's not, it's not similar for men, I would say, um, because they opt in when they wish, you know, generally. I mean, I know that some men like to be more involved and others like to be less involved, but. It's still a choice for them, whereas even in the modern liberated society, it's a lot less of a choice for the mother, or at least that's what it looks like from from where I sit. You know, even with modern young couples who start out, you know, oh, we're going to share the housework, we're going to share everything. When that baby comes along, um, it's not just a social expectation, it becomes a reality that she's the ultimate carer, she's the ultimate fallback. Um, and it shouldn't be like that. And but uh, it's the rare family where it isn't. I mean, my own brother, uh, younger brother, is uh, w was the parent who who, who raised his children, um, and they were raised like a, a military family. <laughs> and um, because that's what men do, you know, they over organize and they, you know, and they have rules and they. It's 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 one of the things that most men. Um, naturally fall into that kind of orderliness. So it is, I'm not sure it is similar. I mean, I think there's ways in which it should be and could be, but I think in most cases in reality, it ends up being quite a different relationship for the father. Oh, without any doubt, the relationship with the father is different to the relationship of the mother. And the father definitely is excluded, particularly in the initial stages, if the mother breastfeeds the baby. Um, because then there is not, you know, the, the kind of 
nightshades and all these things which are such a burden of the early life of the child um, fall to the mother much more than they do to the father. But what I try to say by being similar is not... I think that men feel as deeply for their children as they do, as mothers do, but they express it in a different way. Yes. And and I think that we sometimes uh, negate uh, the feelings of the men. We sometimes don't give them enough uh, credence uh, for really wanting to be involved in their children's parenting. I, I think that this the younger generation, more and more men choose to, for example, work four days a week and do childcare one day a week, which um, even 50 years ago would not have been considered possible. Uh, yes. So there yes. is a gradual shift. Um, it's not to replace what the mother does, but I think that there is a genuine wish in Western society for the mother, for the father to be more active in the life of the children. Yes, and I think that's a, a positive thing all round to have that as an option. Um, did did Montessori um, have specific advice for the mother's role in in early learning, in cognitive development, and in in the child's you know uh, pre nursery uh, development? I, I think that the. Uh, the key message um, is, is um, recognizing the importance of movement for the very young child. So um, she uh, recognized that the child has to move in order to learn. And um, giving children as much freedom. I mean, I, I remember when I first um, studied Montessori, how inspired I was by the fact that she talked about not putting children into playpens making them part of your life. Um, She talked about the importance of children uh, climbing up and down stairs. Uh, Now, we know now from brain research that all these things are fundamental to um, developing uh, the child's executive functions and that, that capacity to negotiate space and understand how one's body functions is a prerequisite to um, all sorts of more academic learning as it happens um, later on. So movement would have been one. And the other thing, she recognized the importance of the prime carer in terms of the child's development of language. Um, And we have witnessed to some extent um, this kind of... um, really delay in children's language development in families where not enough attention is being paid to speaking with and speaking to young children, very young children. They need to be able to hear the human language spoken in order to absorb it, to be able to recreate it. And she recognized that very, very early on. I think, yeah, the prevalence of screens, even in, you know, very little ones' lives is... Um, it's not enough auditory stimulus, is it? It's mostly visual. There might be noises and, and, and bits of language, but not, not the fluent conversational language that a young child needs to hear in order to not just pick up the, the rules of, of, of how to speak, but also to understand the social repercussions of what's said and, and, and how how to absorb what's being said and how to react to it. Absolutely. There's far more to um, um, 
language and communication than um, acquiring a vocabulary. There is, yeah. you're really understanding the impact of language, of even just taking turns in a conversation. The fact that um, the child needs to have time to process what is being said before they can respond. All that kind of give and take of language um, is very difficult to mirror in any other ba way but through human contact. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, did, did you know how the, the Montessori teacher is, is um, trained to be, to see herself and to be part of the environment, the learning environment, a key element of the child's learning environment? Is, does that apply to the mother at home as well? Is she, is she seen from a Montessori point of view as part of the home environment or is it, is it different than that? Essentially, the mother represents the home. She has created the environment for the children. So the home environment is as important as nursery environment. But I really, really believe that the home environment should not replicate the nursery. The home environment should be much more relaxed and should give children more opportunities to be um, and to choose whatever they need. Uh, you know, I, I think that we try so hard to introduce things to children that they don't know how to be still or not to do. And I think that the home is an ideal place um, to have that opportunity to relax. And also, in the home, because you are amongst ideally amongst people who absolutely love you and accept you for who you are, you have the opportunity to try things out which you would not dare to try out with teachers in the nursery. This is why nursery school teachers say, you, you know, your child has been absolutely fantastic and the parent often says, well, but that's not how they are at home. Of course not. The home is a different place. It's the home should really be the secure base for the child where they will be loved, irrespective of what they do. And sometimes they do most mischievous things that you can imagine. <laughs> they are trying things out. They are learning about the world from the security of their home. So when a child is enrolled in a Montessori setting, um, how do we describe, if they ask to the mother, how do we describe their role? So vis-a-vis -vis the learning that's been taking place at the nursery. Well, I always try to explain to the parents that um, doing simple things with the children is much more important. So going for a walk, um, cooking with them, uh, having the children help you around the house, um, those things are opportunities to try things, but not in a structured way. The home should be far less structured than what uh, the Montessori prepared environment offers the children. The value of the Montessori prepared environment is in the freedom of choice and in the way how it's set up, but also the fact that you can learn from other children. We often undermine the social element of the Montessori nursery, where you learn by watching other children do so often the children can do many things without being shown how to do them because they have seen others do it. Their mind is so absorbent to those experiences. Um, and I, I think that pe parents often misunderstand what this 
phrase which I don't like very much is the giving children quality time. What does it really mean? Quality time is to be available irrespective of where the parent is at the moment. Always allowing the child to know that you will hear them and you will value what they have to say. Um, I think that is really, really important. And um, very few of us have been parented in a way, in this way. Most of us have been fobbed off uh, uh, when we had really something important to say to our parents or when we have chosen to share information um, with our parents because they were preoccupied with other things. And I think that's... Uh, one of the advantages of being a grandparent. I don't have a second or third agenda on my mind when I'm with the children. I'm just there available for them. And I think that, um, you know, having that space for the children available from the parents' point of view is very, very valuable and develops deep level of respect and understanding um, for each other. So, so children... St young children strive to be like those around them, so they find their their uh, inspiration of of how to act and how to speak and how to learn um, from the adults around them. So, what does this mean for the mother? Does she need to be a perfect role model? I hope. Or, <laughs> I hope not. This is not an ideal which is attainable, <laughs> but make life extremely miserable. I think that. Um, Philippa Perry um, writes about this really, really beautifully in her book. Uh, she talks about the fact that we all come with baggage, we all come, um, we cannot be perfect parents, but it is important uh, to acknowledge and recognize when things don't go as well as we would hoped. So to be able to apologize, be able to... We hear the child for what they have to say. To be available when they need us is very, very important. I think one of the mysteries of, of a man in a parenting relationship is there's something special about the relationship between the child and the mother, which there's, there's an aspect to it which no one else can quite reach, whether it's a sibling or um, a more, you know, a friend of the family or even a grandparent, that there's some special bond between the mother and the child which is goes above and beyond other relationships. Um, is that something that Montessori would have acknowledged, or would she say really anyone can, can take that role? Oh, I'm sure that she believed in that passionately, and that's why she had such a sense of loss, because she was not able to develop that very special relationship, because that relationship really develops um, when the baby is in the womb and in the first three years of life, when the baby is entirely uh, dependent on an adult, and often that adult is the mother. And so you can see that even when children are much older, uh, or even in adulthood, we hunker for that approval of the mother, or we, hung, uh, we are desperate to be acknowledged by our mothers for what we have achieved. I, I think that that unique relationship is there. Uh, 
what is interesting is um, as we come to have um, families with very different relationships, uh, who takes on the role of the mother in those relationships? And is it possible to recreate it? Is it still vital uh, for those children? Um, it will be interesting to see when uh, many of the children who have been born of surrogate parents, um, um, how they will feel as they get older. But we know that that relationship between the mother and child is vital because of the stories we hear of adults who have been adopted as children, how important it is for them to come to understand why is it that the mother had to give them up and I think yeah. that 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 it that gives us some insight into that relationship. There's a lot of pressure on on parents these days coming from competition, competition for school places, competition for skills, getting onto teams, competition in lots of ways. Um, and I feel like the mother needs to be a kind of buffer between the child and all that competitiveness out there in the wider world. There's just so many applicants for every position imaginable um, that it creates an anxiousness in the parents. But do you agree that it's important for somebody to, to shield the child from this sense of desperation of, you know, achievement, attainment, you must, you must get in, you must, you know, show your best side, you must, develop these skills beyond your peers. Um, um, sorry. I would hope that uh, well, for the mother to be able to give that support to the child, the mother needs to know herself very well and needs to recognize that the child is not a replica of herself, um, that the child is a human being in their own right with different interests and um different uh, gifts that they bring to this world and recognizing these gifts for what they are, not for, not for what we would like them to be, is a vital part of uh, what I would call um, really respectful mothering or respectful parenting uh, for our children. Uh, it is, um, I, I think that some of the pressure that children feel is created by the parents themselves by the expectations they have got of their children rather than accepting the children for who they are um, um, I have once spoken to a mother um, who had a child with Down syndrome and she talked about the struggles of initial disappointment when she realized that the child had Downs and um, then the struggle of trying to compensate for it. It was not until she just embraced her daughter as a child, not a child with Down syndrome, that she actually was able to develop an honest relationship and she felt she was able to fulfill her role as a mother in supporting that child. And I, I think that she described that journey really, really beautifully. Yes, that's a very um, moving example of this challenge that every every parent has is to see your child as another separate human being with their own aspirations mm -hmm. and, and ideas. Um, 
Uh, I think it's slightly harder for fathers. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not a father. <laughs> I know. But I think it is because, you know, um, it's partly the functional way that, that men are, that they want to, if they see a problem, they want to solve it rather yeah. than empathize with it. So, um, But yeah, this is actually um, thinking about your first original question in our conversation. This is the biggest gift that Montessori has given us. In The Secret of Childhood, she talks very explicitly about the fact that we need to see the child as a person in their own right. And I think that, you know, that is a very important message to, to parents to see that their children are who they are, not whom we would like them to be. Yes, I think that's, if, if there's any philosophy at the core of Montessori, it's this respect for the child mm -hmm. as an individual. Um, and it's a very hard message to get through to parents. And sometimes in the Montessori setting, it's important to protect the child from parental pressures, at least while they're with you, so that they know that they're free to make their own choices and to discover who they are and what they love and what they want to learn. Yes, I think um, that is a, a that should be the biggest gift Montessori education gives to children. Yes, um, the, the educational element is um, there available, but it's not the important thing. We get for the child to know their strengths and potentially know their weaknesses, but not to be afraid of them, to be able to accept them and choose to work on them or not to choose work, to work on them and want to be good at something else. That, that is, for me, very important. Yeah. Um, being a mother means giving so much of yourself. Um, what should a mother expect in return? Nothing or everything? <laughs> uh, culturally, the expectations that mother have universally in the world is often great, and in some cultures, um, being a mother uh, demands respect and service for the service the mother's ha mother has given to the child. In the Western world, that has almost vanished. Mm. Uh, yes. um, and um, I think that... For, I can only answer this question personally. I, I wouldn't want to give advice to other people. Yeah. I, I think that we should expect nothing because of the gift of having been mother is so great and acknowledging that we cannot do it perfectly is so realistic that we can only offer to our children and expect absolutely nothing in return. Yeah. I, I think Montessori's own experience probably would have led her to that because she denied herself everything. I mean, even the, the, the grace and dignity of being recognized as her son's mother. Um, and so I think that probably permeates her philosophy to some extent that she understood that this is a, it's for us to give and to be honored with the opportunity to give. And um, that's why that in her writing, there are such high expectations from the parents, such high expectations from the teachers. It's the way how she writes. She wants us to be almost perfect. Yes. Uh, yeah. And the, she sets the goal so high. Um, 
because we all come with baggage, we all come with shortcomings. And for, uh, for us to be good enough parents, to be good enough teachers, we actually work to work within teams and we need to have a support system where you recognize that I'm at the end of my limits and somebody else needs to take over. <laughs> right. Um, and just um, from your personal perspective as well, grandmothers or mothers too, um, there's a, a, a kind of another level of, of um, intricacy and um, relationship to be uh, experienced as a grandmother. How, how is it different for you this second time around to have the relationship with your grandchildren? Um, how is it different than when you were um, the mother of your own children? Oh, the relationship is totally different. Uh, I, I think that as a grandparent, the fact that you are able to share in your grandchildren's lives is a gift. It enriches your own experience as a human being. Um, it is something I will treasure forever uh, because as a parent, there is an emotional pressure to want to do the very best. Um, and you have got this deep responsibility for this human being, whereas that responsibility is not quite the same when you are a grandparent, uh, but you have got two layers of it. So you, you still worry sometimes for your grandchildren, but you also worry for your children, how they will manage the role of being a parent, because you know what it has taken to be a parent. Okay, great. Let's stop there. Um, thanks again to Barbara and David. Um, and see you in the next episode. <laughs>